Lots to talk about disruption. Everybody's a disruptor. We disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. But disruption has a bad connotation. Disruption means coming in and changing something for the sake of changing. Our next guest really thinks about this as transformation. The key difference being not just coming in to disrupt and shake things up, but how to evolve it, really make it last, make it stay, make it better. So if you're thinking about disruption, start thinking about transformation all today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Todd Wilms. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Super excited. We've got Dick Hyatt on. If you don't know him, he is a serial CEO and entrepreneur, six or seven times counting. He is now working on his latest, which is Decisive. He is a phenomenal, fantastic CEO who really knows his stuff. And he is here to talk about transformational leadership. Start thinking about ways to transform a market, an organization, a place of business. Just transform. If you think about this as disruption, you're probably too short-sighted. But I'm going to let Dick have all the fun and start talking to us today all about transformation. Dick, just like we do with everybody on the podcast, who the heck are you and why are you here? So um, I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, I am a serial entrepreneur, uh, been at it for more decades than I wish to acknowledge on this podcast. Since uh, somebody might uh, may go uh, get to too broadly broadcast. Um, um, <laughs> the common thread on all the things I've done in the past, um, I've been a significant part of or led um, six or seven different companies. And uh, we're going to talk more about this, but the common thread in all these is that uh, this is um, a places where there's an intersection between um, advanced technology, some, some advancement in technology, whether it's, uh, uh, and there have been a variety of these uh, along the way. Um, and that advancement really has the opportunity to, uh, to transform an industry. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be part of a transformation from um, using mini computers to local area networks and, and PCs, wide area networks in the law office automation, uh, transformation in the auto uh, industry, a transformation in the voice over IP just prior to starting Decisive, where we moved uh, voice handling, voice messaging from uh, centralized uh, switches uh, into the IP infrastructure. And so that's a little bit uh, of uh, my background, why I'm here. Um, I really enjoy the opportunity to uh, to get to know uh, your audience um, and to share my thoughts and, and as well to listen to other podcasts you've done so that I can understand from others and learn from others. Well, perfect. That's a that's a great setup. And, you know, they're going to love hearing from you because I've, I've enjoyed the prep and, and getting a sense of what where this conversation is going to take us. So, you know, the thing that I heard in particular when you were talking about being a serial entrepreneur is I heard that word transformation right? Quite often. And one of the things that we had talked about was this concept of transformation, but not disruption. Like we in Silicon Valley in particular, we're all about disruption. Everything's about disruption, 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 disruption. And you more are more of a transformation person. So walk me through, walk the audience through why transformation, not disruption, what that means to you, what those terms mean and, and why you use them in that particular way. 
Yeah, so um, uh, my view of, of them is, is, is disruption is a little harsh, um, a bit of a harsh word. And, and, and disruption implies that there is some massive cutover from one way of doing something, you know, virtually overnight, black and white, cutover and do it significantly different. And everybody who, who was there before goes away and, and no longer has a, a, a business model. Everybody wakes up the next morning and does something significantly different. And I just don't think that's realistic. I think that, you know, I, I and I look back on many of the many uh, the, the household names we have, they transformed. They didn't really fundamentally, they, they may have disrupted, but it wasn't a black and white overnight change. Um, some examples are Facebook, uh, Google, um, and um, uh, Instagram. You know, the, the reality is that they incrementally bought, uh, they incrementally grabbed uh, a market share. And that's kind of how I think of things. And when you're changing something fundamentally, um, you got to kind of look at um, how are you going to do that? Um, how are you going to incrementalize? Where are you going to find the first movers, the, uh, the early adopters, the people that help you cross the chasm and then, uh, and then build on that. And, um, you know, we joke at decisive um, we've had really, really good success. Uh, but you know we've been at business at the business for a significant amount of time. So like others, we're an overnight success after years of toiling to get here. <laughs> well, it's like those those graphs that uh, they show the tip of the iceberg, and they you know underneath it's like what took the success, and then what you see is success, right? And so, um, like so many yeah. so many overnight successes that were years in the making. Um, you guys have gone through those those transformations yourself, and and the thing that I was I was writing, kind of noting is, you know, I liked your description that that disruption is this idea that it's binary, that that there's a sort of a winner and a loser, and what you did before was wrong, and what you're doing now is right, and so everything that went beforehand needs to be jettisoned, and the new thing, the new disruptive thing, is the only thing that's that's plausible going forward. Whereas I think transformation, to your point, and, and this is what I love about the idea, and I want to scratch into a little bit further, is more of an evolution. It's this idea that you're taking and accelerating something in the marketplace. You're taking what's been built on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, and then evolving that and turning it into something that's even better, that is more enjoyable by the marketplace, that fits the needs of people in the market, and maybe even evolves as the marketplace changes. And that transformation, I think, is more natural, can be accelerated, can be quick, can be disruptive, but isn't disruptive like the idea of disruption before where it was that binary thought. So I love your thoughts on here that, that it's more of a natural progression and evolution. Yeah, so let, let me give you um, a couple of examples. I'll give you one example in our industry and then give you an example of uh, how we really look at this. Um, yeah, please. So an example in our industry. Example in our industry is, um, you know, uh, and I, I often refer to these things as the shiny object syndrome. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of talk about autonomous driving. So autonomous driving, you know, driverless cars, cars with, you know, no one in the, in the driver's seat moving around uh, our cities is the shiny object. And so everybody latches onto this shiny object. Well, the reality is that, um, um, to get to the shiny object, you have to do hundreds and potentially thousands of things right that are incremental. Um, and then those incremental pieces, as they get refined, 
um, get bundled into bigger chunks of in, in, uh, incremental value and then eventually to whatever the shiny object is. But you don't go to the shiny object immediately, uh, even though it makes great press. Lots of people talk about it, sells magazines, it, it sells whatever. So an example in an autonomous car uh, uh, in the autonomous world is um, um, things like um, uh, lane indicators, um, adaptive cruise control, um, uh, cameras, backup cameras. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of things that you and I use every day in every uh, new model that comes out. Those are the incremental steps which are fundamental that will eventually lead to autonomous driving. But if you don't kind of roll this thing back and figure out what the piece parts are and get adoption along the way, you'll never get to the shiny object. Um, another great example is uh, in our world, uh, there's this desire in the commercial asset space to predict failures um, on the basis of looking at a lot of data, do some data analytics, have these big repositories, throw some data scientists at it, and voila, we're going to have the ability to predict when something's going to fail, uh, some component on the vehicle. Well, the reality is that if you don't get um, uh, the whole process of a vehicle coming to market, uh, tracking preventive maintenance, tracking failures along the way, if you don't get all of the data in those processes in some standard form, um, in some mechanism where the process has standardized and accumulated, you won't get to the shiny object. So whenever, whenever I see somebody talk about like this really cool shiny object, uh, the great business opportunity is, is uh, dissect that, hmm. bring it down to individual component parts and focus on those because that, that, that's the only way to get there. So, you know, that's, that's really smart and it's not something that I've heard or heard articulated it as concisely as you've just put it, which is, again, look at the piece parts, the components that go into that versus I think the thing that's the natural thing, especially again here and not to poke at Silicon Valley because there's a lot of great stuff that comes out of, out of our backyard. But um, one of the things here in particular is this idea that it's always got to be the big shiny object. It's the big next new thing. It's the it's the thing that makes everyone go, wow. And, and that's fantastic. But those things also may never come to fruition. That might just be a, um, uh, you know, a prototype of what could be. But I think what you're looking at is, okay, great. So let's look at the steps, you know, one to 20, they're to go in to make that thing a reality. And what can we do to impact those pieces along the way, which is a really smart, um, sage way of looking at it. So I love that perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. I said, I said I was going to bring it back to our specific example. Um, so, you know, Decisive is in the business of uh, uh, really focusing on um, um, unifying the supply chain for, for service management of commercial assets. Commercial assets have been around for a long time, cars, trucks, uh, generators, those types of things. Um, usually go to market through a, a distribution channel that's disconnected from the, the person who builds it. Um, most of the focus is really on the warranty period of uh, repairing something that's been under warranty. And so when you finally get to the point where you're really trying to use an asset and you want to make sure that it stays working and, and you, you get to utilize it on a regular basis and your cost is relatively low, the piece parts of the service supply chain that, are, that really need to come together to make that work are completely disconnected. Information's all siloed. 
uh, ineffective ways of communicating, collaborating, not tracking a process, and so on. And that's the problem we what we set off to to solve. But as you can imagine, we're in an industry that hasn't changed in 30, 40 years, um, and um, it's not a particularly sexy industry. So you know, people who work on trucks or work on uh, big equipment, uh, people who drive it or operate it, or you know. Um, um, are getting relatively older. They're not the millennials aren't jumping into this into this business. So when I think of what we're trying to accomplish and transforming the way assets are serviced and managed, we're dealing with some significant behavioral change. Uh, getting people who have been doing the same thing over and over again to really change the way they're doing that. And so. Uh, for our business, we've really had to dissect that back and figure out how do we motivate these people uh, in the industry? How do we motivate the industry to do something different? And, you know, when I think of those kinds of challenges, and we've done those in the past in some of my other businesses, we look, our, look for our major market influencers. Who's, who's the first real mover you've got to get to to change the way they do business to really affect the whole uh, the whole industry and that's really what we did we kind of peeled the onion back to the core looked at it and said hey if we're going to do this we got to we got to get uh, and solicit help from the manufacturers of these assets and change the way they bring product to market the way they service the product and then from there we can kind of move out in concentric circles and bring other participants component suppliers, service locations, fleets, managed care providers, we can bring them onto the platform. We gotta have something that starts, that fundamentally moves the market, grabs attention, and can help us uh, really penetrate the rest of the market. So that's, that's kind of our transformational approach to our industry. Well, and I want to spend a little time on this sort of behavioral transformation that you're, you're going through, because it's one of the things that I hear a lot from founders, but also hear from large established companies and people that are entrepreneurs, the ones that are developing new products or services or tackling new markets within these bigger infrastructures. The things they're trying to do are to come in and whether they call it transformation or disruption, but they're trying to come into a new market, a new space and make some change. And fundamentally what they realize is they may be dealing with you know, apathy. They may be dealing with people's lack or inability to move and change their behaviors or do something unique and different. So I want to spend a little time on this idea where you find those sort of first movers and shakers. When you're sitting down and trying to find someone who will pick up the cause and carry the banner for you into the market and say, this is the new way to try and approach this, whatever that thing is, are you looking at you know, industry influencers or manufacturers, partners, customers, you know, a, a blogger, a, 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 you know, a, a sage news person? Like, who's the, who's the people that you look at to try and do that first? Or what's the decision tree you use to figure out who's going to help you change that cause and change that behavior in the marketplace? So it's, that's a great question, and it's it's not um, a single answer. It's kind of a multitude of things that need to come together. Um, and from from my perspective, you know, in trying to this this market we're attacking is a massive market. There's a billion assets on the planet. They all need to be effectively managed uh, and managed better than they are today. So 
you know, how do you really uh, go into a market that that that's that big? You can't tackle it all in one in one bite. So uh, what we did is we segmented it down. Obviously, we're in North America, so we brought it back down to ge- geographically. Then we looked at the different segments and said, okay, so um, you know, there's construction, marine, power generation, agriculture, commercial vehicles. Commercial vehicles, pretty big, undergoing significant change as it is. We focused on commercial vehicles. Then when we looked at that space, it's still too big. We, we narrowed it down and said, okay, we really want to move the class six through eight truck market. That's the you know, biggest part of the market. Those are the tractor trailers. We wanted to move them, uh, that market first. Um, and we felt that if we could do that, we could radiate out from there. And so once we really focused on that, we looked at that market and said, okay, so the components of that are there's, there's fleet operators, there's uh, uh, companies that manage assets for others. There's a whole bunch of those. They're kind of hard to break into. There's, there's uh, service providers um, uh, with, with locations where you get things repaired. And then there's OEMs. We saw the OEMs as the first mover and the ones that we really needed to focus on. And the reason for that is that um, uh, it is their, the relationship between them and the customer is theirs to lose. And they've done a phenomenal job of losing it, by the way. Uh, So we saw it as kind of our mission to help them regain that. They built the asset. Therefore, they have a relationship with the customer the day it's sold. They should figure out a way to maintain that through the life cycle. To do that, you've got to unify the different piece parts and get them all to work together. And we thought we could help the OEMs do that. So that's why we thought they were a major first mover, big influencer in the marketplace, their business to lose, their business to win. I said it's all the above because to do that, um, there are um, several ways to, to get them to move. You can knock on the door and keep banging your head against the door and try to get them to do something, or you can get to their influencers. Their influences are really big fleets that buy a lot of their assets, really big dealers who represent the service points. And so we kind of incrementally uh, grab dealers along the way with our idea, grab some fleets, use that to get back to the OEM, build a relationship with the OEM, and then we could scale from there. And so you know, it's really, I kind of liken being an entrepreneur and bringing something new to market as leapfrog. You find some entry point that you know is substantial and influential, and you start to build from there, and then you use that to leap over to the adjacent uh, relationships yeah. and build from there. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the things where I think some of the biggest innovations in technology, in consumer behavior, in products and services, in lifestyle, have, have really come by smart entrepreneurs looking at something that existed in the marketplace, um, found a way to leapfrog over it, and not just with new, um, you know, new features, because I think there's, there's that belief. We heard this from a lot of founders where I'll, I'll just take X and I'll make it X with flavor crystals, right? I'll just make it X, but a little bit better. I'll put X on steroids. And that's interesting and there's value there. But I think what you're doing is also a lot smarter, which is, okay, so let's, let's look at this and re-evolve it. Let's look at something and say, it's not just about enhancing the features. It's not just about putting it in the cloud or it's not just about adding two or three more things to it. 
it's really about evolving it into something that is bigger than it is today and looking at those spaces and, and finding a way to, to create value there. And then I, again, we go back to what I loved is your idea of finding influencers or luminaries or people that are reliable in the space to help carry the banner. So it's not just you carrying that message, but it's others, it's customers and partners and vendors, et cetera, that can come in and say, Hey, look, this is something that's really special, really different, really unique. You should get involved in this too. And that nascent third-party endorsement goes a long way towards changing those behaviors and getting people excited about this new process service, et cetera. That's exactly right, Todd. And the other thing I would add to it is that um, in all the businesses I've focused on, um, I have focused on places where you have a tangible, demonstrable ROI. And I, I can't imagine trying to grow a business where you can't point to something that either saves somebody significant time or saves them money or enhances their life or does something like that. Uh, in our particular case, we have a, uh, by unifying the service supply chain for commercial assets, well, we have a, a huge demonstrable ROI to everybody that we touch within the service supply chain or ecosystem. And um, that, that I think is really fundamental. Somebody, uh, you know, when I go and talk to people and they say, I got this great business idea uh, and, and they can't articulate why it's beneficial or what the ROI is or why I should invest in it. Um, it usually falls short for me. One of the things that I love, I just love about C-Suite Radio is our sponsors. Phenomenal. They really know how to sponsor a product, a service, and a podcast better than anybody. All joking aside, it's our sponsors that actually help to keep this thing running. And so I really appreciate you listening to one of them today. Thanks again for listening to our sponsor. Now, back to our interview with Dick Hyatt. One of the things that I want to try and make sure we get a little bit of time for, because this is a topic I think we could spend quite a bit of time and go sort of deeper on, but I love that we've sort of encapsulated this general notion of uh, how to evolve into the marketplace. And I'm going to go back to even what you said at the beginning of this idea of transformation. You know, you've been serial entrepreneur, right? You've done six or seven of these. Uh, talk to a lot of people that are still on their first one. They're making their way through their first one. They may be on their journey where it's 10 years into their first one and they've sunk significant time, effort, and energy into it, or maybe it's just the first couple of months. But I love that this, uh, you have this idea of you know, your OKRs and the sort of five principles that you guide the company by. And you know, one of the things I want to I just sort of give a give a flag out to the to the listener is I've heard everybody come on and they've got their you know their mission statement and the the five principles that they throw up on the boardroom wall and no one really listens or believes in those but I think you're building a company that embodies these five things and these five leadership principles have really helped steer and guide your career not just in this last iteration but in the prior six or seven so I'd love for you to walk through and really talk to us about what are these five principles that you that you live by and how you instill this in the people around you and get this to be a cultural phenomenon for your company and not just something that, again, just sits on the boardroom wall. Yeah, absolutely, Todd. Let me, uh, and I, I, I will share these, these, these five uh, points uh, with your, with your audience. And um, um, I will preface it by saying that um, um, 
I uh, have borrowed a number of these, so um, <laughs> I will attribute uh, them to the appropriate person when I get to Love them. So the first one really is um, think in terms of minutes and hours, uh, not days and weeks. And um, this is super important. Um, and it ties in with one of the other things we'll talk about in a moment, the OKRs. But, you know, too often people look at their uh, think in terms of managing their week or managing their month or their month's objectives or their week's objectives. And, you know, if you don't wake up in the morning thinking in terms of how am I going to manage the minutes? then the hours will escape you. If you wake up in the morning thinking of how you're going to manage the day, the week's going to go by and the week, you know, the month and, and so on. So, you know, too often I myself, and I'm guilty of this as well, um, um, let the, 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 the days, weeks, and months go by and um, um, think in, in, in too broad a term. So one of my first principles is think in terms of minutes and hours, um, not days and weeks. The second one is um, choose carefully. There are many choices, and we have uh, monthly all-hands meetings. We have about 130 people attend on a monthly basis. I share these uh, every, every month, so kind of review them. But I've got a picture of a uh, small child looking at this massive candy store um, and just looking at it with these big eyes. And, man, every day, you know, all of us have that same, those same issues. So, you know, pick carefully. You're going to only get a couple of those. You're going to get, you're going to be sick if you choose too many and try to consume too many pieces of candy. So uh, make, make good choices. The third one is, uh, and this um, I will attribute to, to somebody, but this, this is start with a customer and, and really uh, relentless pursuit of customer satisfaction. It's often been said for people who are Jeff Bezos and Amazon fans that the first name of the company was not Amazon. It was relentless. And it was all built around the concept of relentless pursuit of customer satisfaction. Um, I think that is so fundamentally important. Without the customer, you don't have a business. Number four is um, you never win or lose alone. Um, you know, some of us want to be, and I have certainly been down this path before, you want to be the hero. You want to go into the sale, you know, and win uh, and be able to come back all by yourself and say, hey, look at this. I won this gigantic order. Um, First of all, that rarely happens. Um, it takes a team. Um, second, uh, uh, if you lose, um, you should never lose without bringing all the resources available from the company to bear on an opportunity. So that's number four. That's a John Chambers quote. I worked for John or for Cisco for uh, several years. And the last one is work hard, have fun, uh, and make history. And that, again, is attributable to, uh, to, to Jeff Bezos. And that kind of speaks for itself. Uh, we all work, work hard, working hard, working smart, making good choices, effective use of time, but have a good time. Um, and I don't think it's worth waking up in the morning if you're not going to really dedicate yourself to making history, to changing something fundamental. So those are my five. So I want to I want to unpack a couple of these because a, a few of these hit home with either my personal philosophies or or ones that I've heard repeated replicated time and again on on this broadcast and, and the seventy people that I interviewed for the book. So this this last one we'll start there and maybe work backward a bit. This idea of making history. I, I, one of the things that I've heard and it's one of the sort of bellwethers of the, the millennials and certainly even more so of Gen Z, which is coming up behind them, 
And what we forget too is, you know, millennials are now um, taking board positions in organizations. I just talked to a couple of them this week that fit firmly in the millennial generation and they're taking their first board seat. So this is no longer just the up and coming generation, but now they're taking leadership roles in companies. Um, for, for those in particular, they want to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, that there's a cause and a purpose for what they're doing. And so no longer is it just a punch in, punch out, nine to five kind of role that people want to feel like they're empowered and they're a part of something. And so your philosophy here around, yeah, work hard, have fun, that's, that's sort of been given for a while. But this idea of make history and do something that's going to be amazing, I think empowers and emboldens people, emboldens people along the way that they feel like they're on to go do something and not just to sit back and be idle, but their job is to help grow and make something happen. And I think that empowers people beyond just showing up and doing hard work. It empowers them to go and want to do something beyond what, what they themselves can accomplish, what the corporation, the organization can do. Yeah. So that's, so this is an interesting one. Um, uh, so, um, Part of the challenge of running a business, um, particularly around uh, make history, is that um, as you grow the business, you've got a lot of people. And many of our people, we have about 130 people, many of them are site remote workers. Um, so how do you rally them all around? Uh, you, you want them all to make the same history, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, you don't, yes, you don't exactly. want everybody waking up every morning and say, hey. <laughs> so, that, so that's a challenge. Get, get them all really focused on the same thing, and that thing is big enough so that it really fundamentally changes an industry and, and, and makes history. So communicating and collaborating across the company is really, really important. And I know that everybody says that, but the question is really how do you do it? Um, and how do you make that work? We have lots of different uh, tools we use. We use Slack. We use Zoom. Uh, we do stand-ups. We do all kinds of those things. But one of the things we've uh, uh, adapted uh, fairly recently is this concept of OKRs, Objectives and Key Results. And um, um, if, if, you, if your listeners don't know that term, um, I would suggest highly, there's a couple of books that I think are really important. This is one of them, uh, Measure What Matters, written by John Doerr, um, really great book, um, and really talks to this, to this issue. But one of the challenges uh, with OKRs is, is, is you want to establish this, this, uh, uh, the, the baseline and get everybody uh, rallied around it. In our particular case, we chose five corporate objectives. Um, and uh, I'll share those with you in a moment. Um, but it was really a team effort from the management team to pick these five major objectives uh, of the company um, that drive all of our OKRs. And then my, my message to everybody is if you wake up in the morning and you're doing some, some task, some activity, if you can't tie it back to one of these five things, you shouldn't be doing it. And if you do these five things, we will fundamentally change an industry and make history. Let me share what those are. Um, our, um, our, our, our platform, our reason for being here is around servicing commercial assets. So the first is 100% of the service assets uh, for, for us and our partners flow through our platform. So we, want, we don't want to be something that's used occasionally. 
We want to be used every day, every minute of the day by the people who are important to us. The second one is be the data leader. I talked about that before, this whole idea of, oh, we're going to go mine a bunch of data. And, and you know, the shiny object is we're going to make these great analytical uh, uh, predictions based on, on the data. Well, the only way to do that is make sure the data is of high quality um, as these service events occur. So the second is be the leader in quality data around our specific process. The third is think in terms of globally and across all segments, it's across our business. The fourth is make it easy. There's another book that I think is, uh, is uh, great, which is uh, Best Service is No Service, How to Liberate Your Customers from Customer Service, Keep Them Happy and Control Costs. So one of our fundamental OKRs is make it easy, zero implementation, zero training, zero support. That's a long range goal, but again, everybody in the support organization and the product organization and other parts of our business, when they wake up and they're doing something, it should be tied to one of these in particular, that's a great one. And last is make it uh, prove a clear, uh, measurable ROI for our customers. So those are our um, uh, five corporate OKRs and then Everything everybody does feeds in through their management team and through their specific responsibility into those five things. We measure them. We report on them on a regular basis. We review them on a monthly basis in our all-hands meetings. And that's how we try to keep everybody focused on making the same history, not independent and different <laughs> histories. <laughs> Well, and that's, I think that's really key too, because I've, I've seen that happen as well, where everyone's off doing sort of their own agenda and then the, the company feels like a multi-headed hydra. Um, one of the other ones that I, I want to spend a little time on, and it, it's, it's primarily because it was so top of mind. I, I gave a webinar this morning, which we talked about, um, and it really was this idea of customer and customer being king. Uh, one of the challenges I've seen with a lot of organizations is they still have this belief that, you know, if I build it, they will come, right? If I build this better mousetrap, this perfect thing, um, that that the customer will be the path to my door, that the customer will come find me, and it's the customer's job to come find me. And I think what I hear a lot of uh, more progressive entrepreneurs and leaders come in and say is, no, we're thinking of the customer first and foremost. They're the center of the conversation of the journey. And we design and build everything around the customer first. And so spend a little bit of time with me talking about, yeah, it's one thing to give lip service and say the customer, but how do you go about putting the customer first and foremost? How do you make them the center? How do you make them the king? What are the things that you do to help make that customer the, the, the primary part of your journey? Yes. Yeah, so, um, um, uh, good question. Let me, let me, um, uh, start by putting a, uh, a plug in for, uh, uh, two books, uh, written by, uh, one of our advisors who, uh, and by the way, I think these are great books and, and, and people should pick them up and read them. Um, the first is the Amazon way. And the second is the Amazon way on IOT written by John Rossman. Um, I think that um, in the Amazon way, it's a really good conversation about um, how to focus on the customer uh, and really um, uh, dissect uh, how to deliver a quality product for the customer and, and, and meet their needs. From our perspective, you know, a big part of this is um, uh, making sure everybody in the organization gets customer exposure. 
Um, the only way you can figure out what the customer needs is if you're in front of the customer. So, you know, you can't sit back in your, in your, in your office uh, and try to understand the customer. That's really requires getting out in front. You also can't um, uh, make stuff up, um, you know, too often, uh, you know, this is one of the dangers I think of product management is the conclusion, the customer really doesn't know what they want or what they need. Well, sometimes that's kind of true, but not wholly true. Um, and if, if whatever conclusions you come to aren't validated against the customer, then I think they're kind of fairly shallow. Um, you know, another really important thing that we focus on is, as I mentioned before, is ROI. So the only way you're going to get people to change behavior is if you can prove to them that by doing that, they're going to be better off. They're going to go home earlier. They can make more money. They're going to have more fun at work. Um, those are really fundamental things in what we're trying to do that we really look to, to try to make a reality. Um, so, you know, those are, those are some of the things that uh, I think you really got to stay, stay close to the customer and understand them in the Amazon way. I mean, it's, 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 you know, and, and I think Amazon is such a phenomenal company when it comes to really focusing on the customer. Um, there's a conversation about a flywheel uh, and the flywheel effect, which is just keep taking friction out of the process. And if you do that, you will fundamentally, it will lead you to something that is very customer satisfying. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's very much one of our guiding principles. The last one I'll share with you is we've coined a phrase called seductive. <laughs> and seductive is a user interface for a customer uh, has to be seductive. So when they first encounter it, they got to find it cool. They got to want to touch it and feel it and do something with it. As they get into it, it's got to be addictive so that for that given process, they never want to leave it. They always want to stay there um, and work with that process. Perfect. I love it. Okay. So the podcasts go by really fast. So we're going to have just another minute to sort of wrap up and do closing thoughts, but I want to recap a couple of the really great things that I heard. So first was, you know, we started off on this idea of transformation and not disruption and, and your concepts around disruption being this idea of being binary and transformation being this evolution and what does that mean and, and how to go about this concept of transformation. You then spent some time talking about um, the, the specificity of it, of thinking about things as moving from you know, minutes to days to weeks and having this passion and energy drive you. You talked about choosing carefully, making customer king, um, never going it alone, and this idea of making history, which we spent a good deal of time on the end, and then how you steer and guide your organization both to measure against those five qualities, those principles with your OKRs, and also how you think about, um, you know, putting the customer front and center and what does that really look like for you and your organization. And then the last piece and the, and the one that I really love and I hope is a key takeaway is, you know, your concept of this idea of the bright, shiny object where everyone looks for, here's the next big, sexy, interesting, engaging thing that's out there in the space. And it's easy to focus on those. You're right. It does sell magazines and it, it makes great headlines, but there's probably 20 pieces of technology or processes or services or pieces that go into that. And are there opportunities to come in and be transformative in those individual piece parts and grow a business and add value in the marketplace and do something really interesting and exciting and make history 
before that big shiny object comes to fruition. And sometimes those shiny objects never come to fruition, but it's those those piece parts, those things that come from it that that really add value to to our lives and to our customers and our consumers. So, uh, Dick, was there anything that we missed, anything you wanted to close on, or did we cover some of the good stuff here today? Todd, that was a that was a great summation. Um, uh, I thought that was that was perfect. So uh, I have I have nothing more to add. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation um, and um, hope that uh, your listeners uh, gain some some value from this. Oh, I'm sure they will. And Dick, so just so people know how to how to follow you, how to get a hold of you, what is the easiest way if people want to get more Dick Hyatt? What do they do? How do they find you? Probably the best way is is, uh, is LinkedIn. Okay. Um, happy to uh, to connect with anybody who wishes to. Um, Dick Hyatt at, uh, at at Decisive. Those will get you to my to my LinkedIn profile. And Decisive, by the way, does not have an E on the end of it. Okay, so D E S I S I V. Exactly, the challenge of finding domain names in a very crowded uh, marketplace. Yeah, it's very it's very challenging. Thank thank goodness you didn't put a backward E or anything silly like like uh, you know a three on the end of that. So I've seen I've seen those done before too. Um, all right, well, Dick, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. I truly enjoyed it. So much great stuff here, and I know that um, people that are listening are going to take a lot away from this. So pleasure having you on board, and wish you every success in the near future, and hope you have a great rest of your week. Thanks so much, Todd. Same to you. Appreciate right. the time. All right. That was fantastic. I love listening to Dick's point of view. His whole uh, quote on work hard, have fun, make history is so spot on. He's the kind of cultural leader, the kind of zeitgeist leader that I would love to go in and work for someday. Um, and he's definitely someone that I would you know, walk through fire with because I think he's got the right point of view. The five principles that he lives by, this idea of his OKRs, um, how to start thinking about really leading and building a culture in your organization, and this whole concept of never win or lose alone. It's always a collaborative effort. I wish more people had that point of view, but it's frankly why he's done so successfully at his six or seven companies, and he's done this so well as a serial business leader. If you would like to follow more and listen to Dick, I strongly suggest you do. You can find him at Decisive.com. That's D-E-C-I-S-I-V. Again, D-E-C-I-S-I-V.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, and that's Dick Hyatt, D-I-C-K-H-Y-A-T-T, just like it sounds. That's it for me. If you'd like to hear more of these types of great leaders, I strongly suggest that you pick up a copy of the book Beyond Product. It is available on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, your local bookstores, or just check it out today at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, the place where phenomenal founders grow. Thanks again for listening, and we'll do this again next week. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.